You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. So if y'all want to turn there with me, I think it will probably be up on the screen too. But Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants." The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. All right. Thank you, Jordan. Hey, good morning. Uh, My name is Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Odessa. If you're a guest, thank you so much for being with us. You can uh, find a Connect card under your your chair. If you would take a minute, fill that out. Uh, Let us know how we could connect with you and how we could get you plugged into the life of the body. Uh, If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and Chad will bring you one. Um, And if you're on your phone or your tablet, we use the ESV. And so we're back in our in our walk through Ruth. And so I just want to just want to kind of give a summary up to this point. There's a woman. Her name is Naomi, and she is is married to this man Elimelech, and they have two sons. And during the famine, they travel from Moab to Bethlehem in order to sojourn. Um, This move is made in disobedience. It's a move away from the promises of God. It's a move outside of the will of God for them. It's a move away from the promised land. We know that this is a move out of disobedience because the Old Testament law, which are the first five books of, of our Bibles, they have instructed the people of God the nation of Israel, to dwell in the land, to cultivate the land, and God has promised to be with them when they take the land as a possession that he has given to them. Uh, The promised land is where God has promised to dwell with his people. But this family 
goes out in search of greener pastures, and they look for that in, in Moab, which is an enemy of the nation of Israel. These two nations were consistently in conflict with one another. And so what happens when this family gets there is that it appears that God's judgment is upon them. What happens when they get to Moab is a picture of just the amount of devastation that sin can cause and that sin can create. This family gets assimilated into this godless culture, and they begin to look more like the children of the serpent than the children of God. And that's kind of the thing about sin. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is disobeying God and his will for our lives. It's kind of the thing about sin. It always will take us further and further away from God and his promises than we ever thought possible and we ever intended to go. And it always leaves us feeling worse and worse than we ever thought it could. Sin never fulfills us, and its pleasures are fleeting. So this family gets to Moab. Her husband, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. Her sons, furthering the disobedience to to the word of God, marry pagan wives, marry um, unbelieving wives, and then the sons also die. So we have this woman left with these two pagan daughter-in-laws in a foreign country. But while they're there, the news reaches Moab that the famine in the promised land has, has lifted. We are given a sign that God's favor has been restored to his people. And this is the first glimpse of hope that we have in this otherwise very tragic story. So Naomi and her two pagan daughter-in-laws, her two idol-worshiping, unbelieving, godless daughter-in-laws, head off for Bethlehem in Judah. And while they are en route to Judah, Naomi tries to convince her daughter-in-laws to stay, uh, to turn around, go back to the land, go go back to your mom, go back to your gods, go back to your customs. And she successfully convinces one, Orpah, But she doesn't convince Ruth. She's unable to convince Ruth. Ruth is resolute on going with Naomi. Ruth, her daughter-in-law, clings to her and promises love and devotion to her and promises love and devotion to Naomi's God. So they continue on their journey. And when they get there, the text tells us that they arrive back and the whole town hears about Naomi and Ruth being back and they're Uh, just excited. There's a buzz about them. But Naomi is not necessarily happy to be back. She says the people, the people approach her and they're like, hey, Naomi. And she's like, hey, don't call me that. Don't call me Naomi because Naomi means sweet or pleasant. She goes, don't call me that. That's not who I am anymore. Call me Mara. That means, that means bitter. Call me Mara because the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi is so bitter, she can't see any hope in her situation. She can't see any hope for a future. She can't see any hope in her circumstances. And again, I bet a lot of us can identify with Naomi. I'd be willing to bet that at some point in our lives we have felt like this. And if we haven't, I'd be willing to bet that it's probably coming at some point. I mean, just if we're honest, if we're honest with ourselves and one another, we all at times feel like this, right? Something about Naomi may, may resonate with you at a real human level. 
So I'm learning a lot about myself lately. Um, some of my, my core fears are like fears of being abandoned and fears of, of being rejected. That's probably me being an overshare, but this is a safe place. So um, uh, oftentimes, like, I kind of project that onto the Lord. After I've projected that on everybody else, I kind of project that on the Lord. So sometimes instead of dealing with my fears and thoughts about God in a, in a healthy way, I get mad. I get angry. I get mad and angry at the Lord. Or, even worse, I, like, hide from him. And I'm pretty sure I'm not alone here. But what we're going to see, and what we're beginning to see in the book of Ruth, is that things are not as hopeless as they appear. The end of chapter 1, which we looked at last week, gives us these words. Uh, Ruth 1.22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who had returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Naomi's back. Naomi has returned. The famine has lifted. Ruth is with Naomi. And look what else. They came to Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. It appears that something good is coming. Something is about to change. We have some hope. And Christian, if you identify with Naomi through the first chapter of Ruth, man, I want you to feel this hope too this morning. I want you to feel this hope hope for you. So let's pray, and we're going to jump in. Lord Jesus, we love you, and Lord, we need you. Lord, I pray that you would show us our great need for you. Lord, that in the midst of struggle, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial, in the midst of isolation, that we feel Lord, that you would show us the truth that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, that you are God, Emmanuel, God with us. So be that to us this morning. Show us, show us that this morning. Lord, we are just in desperate need of your help. Church, I'd ask if you were willing that you would, that you would pray for yourself that the Lord would use this moment and these moments and these next few verses, these next few minutes to call, um, to stir your affections for him, to call you back to him. The Lord would bring conviction where conviction is needed and encouragement where encouragement is needed. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Just a little disclaimer. I don't know what's going on next door, but we're just going to go around it. So um, just want to acknowledge whatever that is and be present here. So here we are. Uh, Ruth chapter 1. I'm sorry, Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So again, I said we have hope. Here we have some hope, and it is foreshadowed to us in this person of Boaz. Naomi's 
um, she tells her daughter-in-law on their way back, the reason you can't go back with me is because I have no sons for you to marry and no sons for you to have, have children with to raise up. So I'm going to release you from the covenant of, of marriage and the covenant of being in my family. So we're here again reminded of a Jewish custom. It's called a leveret marriage. This custom traditionally means that if a man uh, dies, he's married and he dies, and they die without children, his brother would then marry the widowed woman, and the first child born to this new couple would continue on the lineage of the deceased. It's super weird for us, but it ensured that the familial line would be preserved. And that's a super important part of this story and will be moving forward. So we're introduced to a relative of the family from the clan of Elimelech, and Elimelech has died. We're not told how Elimelech and Boaz are related. We just know that they're related. They're clansmen. And so they're probably like what we would consider cousins, like third or fourth cousins, kind of the weird guy that you see at your family reunion. That's, that's, that's kind of their, their relation. Um, anyways, this text tells us that this relative's name is Boaz and that he is a worthy man. And that's an important piece of the story because, as the setting of the book of Ruth suggests, worthy men are few and far between at this point in Israel. The book of Ruth takes place during the book of Judges, during a time that looks like this. Judges 21-25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. But that's not the case with Boaz. The narrator tells us he is a worthy man in a time where people did just whatever they wanted to do without any consideration of God, without any consideration of trying to honor God in the way they live, and without any consideration for anybody else. So we've been introduced to these women, Ruth and Naomi, and now we're being introduced to the broader community in the land of Judah. Specifically, we have one who is worthy, and his name is Boaz. So verse 2 says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Ruth is a new believer. That's evidenced by her abandoning her gods, her customs, her family, and making the God of Naomi, the God of Israel, her God. Ruth is also in a foreign land. Ruth and Naomi are also poor, and they are also widows. Man, but they can't sit around. They got to eat. So we see Ruth, who tells Naomi, I'm going to go out to the field, and I am going to glean. Gleaning is a practice that's given forth by the law in Leviticus for the provision for the poor and for the widow and for the fatherless. Landowners, according to the Old Testament law, were required to not glean their whole field, which means like pluck their grain. They're required to not, to not glean the whole field, but only glean up to the edges of the field. And then they would allow the poor among them to work and provide for themselves. It was sort of like a work program to allow the poor to have some sustenance and try to eke out a living. 
However, because of the setting of this book, it's likely not a practice that people in the time of the book of Ruth are observing. Because again, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what they wanted. So if you glean the whole field, you make more money. But Ruth goes out to glean in hope that she can find some field not gleaned all the way through. The narrator again makes it a point to call out uh, to call Ruth the Moabite. Again, this is highlighting some ethnic and cultural tensions that we have in place in this story. Ruth is going out to these fields without any familial or social protection that she's aware of. Man, this is a gutsy move for Ruth, but she has no choice. There's another interesting note here. Ruth is going out alone. Naomi's depression and her bitterness is so debilitating. Her age would not prevent her from gleaning, and they could have doubled their haul. But Naomi can't. She just, she just has given up. I can't. She stays back. And yet, again, we see a faithful Ruth honoring her mother-in-law, going out and providing. Her faith isn't an idle faith. She is trusting in the Lord for his provision. So she goes. And the text makes an interesting statement. It says, So she happened upon the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Literally in the Hebrew it reads, And chance chanced. Um, Or as we would say in our English, As luck would have it. But the narrator isn't being casual. He's really wanting to focus our attention on the providential provision of the Lord. Man, that's the whole story of the book of Ruth, is that we have a God who works in the mundane moments of our lives and who works all things together for our good and for his glory and for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. He is working for you. Man, on a practical human level, Ruth's just trying to serve her mother-in-law. Ruth's trying to be faithful and find a field where she can eke out a meal or two. And yet, God is guiding her steps to the very field that will ensure her redemption. Not just her physical redemption, but through the line of Boaz, the redemption that will be through the Messiah, Jesus. And this redemption will be made available to the whole world as well. Listen, man, God's plans do not fail. So God is directing them for their good and for his glory. And man, may this this comfort you too. As you're just trying to be faithful in your life, maybe things aren't going the way you want them to go or the way you think they should go or the way you feel entitled for them to go. Man, you can trust because we have the witness of the scriptures that says God works for our good. Christians, God works for our good. Nothing we do and nothing we can do is outside of the providential watch of our faithful father. So we're told again, Boaz is a relative. And he's one of the few men that can offer them the help that they desperately need. And here he comes. Here comes our guy, Boaz. God has your Boaz coming. Um, Ruth Ruth 2.4. 
And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Boaz comes to the field to check on his field and check on his workers, and he greets them in the name of the Lord, and then they respond in the name of the Lord. Boaz is apparently a respected employer, and he's also a man of God. Boaz is also gospel-centered. Boaz is a God-exalting follower of God for all of his life. And he is reminding his workers of the providential promised covenant of God to be with his people. This is the promise given to the people by God and the promise that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ as the God who became flesh and dwelt among us. Man, Boaz isn't casual in his faith. Boaz isn't just like checking some religious boxes, saying all the right things, you know, saying the stuff and then doing the exact opposite. No. Faith in God has affected him deeply and personally, and Boaz is motivated by God's grace to him and by God's presence in his life. Boaz is a picture of us as employees and employers or students or whatever role we find ourselves in as believers, if we are people of God, changed by God's grace to us, given to us through the Son's death and resurrection, and sealed with the promised and dwelling Holy Spirit, then what we do between Sundays matters for the kingdom. Man, your character as a worker, your character as a boss, your character as a student or a teammate or a parent or a child or whatever other role you are in, how you conduct yourself reflects ultimately what you believe to be true about God. Boaz, as a follower of God, is a picture of this. God's goodness to him has changed how he lives. God's goodness to Boaz has infected his motivations for how he lives, and it informs his activity, and it informs his behavior. His love for the Lord and the Lord's love for him spills over into every area of his life. You see, following God doesn't just mean you show up to church and churchy things. It doesn't mean you say the right things and do the right things. It means if you're a believer in Jesus, your identity is now changed. And now, church isn't something you go to. Church is something that you are. Church is your new identity. Christian, are you being the church in your life? Has the word of God, having revealed to you your new identity in Christ, has the word of God had any impact on how you and how you are supposed to operate as a believer, how you function, any of that? Has the calling of God on your life given to you by the word impressed deeply upon your heart 
any desire to look like Jesus, any desire to live like the Bible is calling you to live. I think more simply stated, has the love of Christ done anything in your heart? Are you demonstrating the love of Christ in how you work and how you interact with people? Do you love and honor God? Do you love and honor God and do you love and honor people? Do you serve others in the way that Jesus has served you? Do you love the way that Christ has called you to? So Boaz is demonstrating this for us. He is an example for us. Not only as a boss, but we will see more from him in a second on on how to live. But first, let's deal with Ruth the Moabite in the field and her presence in this text. Her presence in this field is very unusual and raises some eyebrows, so Boaz inquires about her. Verse 5. Then Boaz says to his young man who is in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who is in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves and after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Look at Ruth go. She's out there busting her hump to provide. Gleaning is hard work. Gleaning is hot work. And Ruth is doing this in a time where women in general, and specifically foreign women, are not safe. The foreman tells Boaz about this woman. Ruth's faith and Ruth's humility are evidenced in her work. Man, faith in Jesus, faith in his provision to us, doesn't invite us to just sit around and do nothing. Faith calls you into dependency, not laziness, not wishful thinking. Consider this. Work is actually a gift to us to reflect God's nature and to reflect God's character. Before Adam and Eve sinned, God had commanded them to work and work in the garden. Faith in God's provision is an invitation to honor God in our work. Even in, and probably more acutely stated, even in jobs we don't like. Faith invites us to work as a reflection of a God who has worked in and through himself to provide for us. And Ruth is trusting by faith in this God, that this God is going to bless her efforts and provide for her because that is what he has promised to do. Man, Ruth could have said at home, but the Lord had more for her. His plan still required her effort. And we get to partake in that plan today as we share the gospel, as we live it out. We aren't called to sit around waiting and hoping for God to do all the work, but we're actually called to join him in the work. And just being real careful here, this isn't a works-based righteousness where we aren't saved by our good works. Our good works don't make us more holy. But God has called us into faith and dependency on him. And he's also called us into obedience. And he has also invited us to join him on mission. 
And so a lot of times that looks like we taking, we're taking steps of faith and trusting the Lord for the outcomes, even when we can't see what those things are. So Ruth is in this field, and she's working hard. Boaz is there too, and so now the scene is set. We have this hardworking widow, this hardworking foreign widow, and this man of honor, and here they meet. What is going to happen? Verse 8, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So now we have Ruth. He's being tender and kind. I'm sorry, we have Boaz, and he's being tender and kind, and he's addressing Ruth. He calls her my daughter. And then he gives her permission to not only glean in his field, but he's also giving her status amongst his workers and amongst his servants. Then he tells her, drink what you want. Drink what the men have drawn. So drawing water during this time was reserved for servant women and foreign women, and they would draw water for everyone else before they would get a sip. But Boaz is making her an equal. He then tells his men, don't mess with her. Keep your hands to yourself. He provides for her physical needs, and then he provides for her a safe place. He provides for her protection. One commentator says this is the first sexual harassment policy in a workplace that the, given, that the world has ever known. The very first one. Again, she's a foreigner, and a foreigner in a time where everyone did whatever they wanted to do. And here's this man of integrity showing us that his words and deeds are consistent with one another and consistent with his faith in God. Verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why, I have, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? In Boaz's kindness, Ruth responds by falling on her face in humility and in respect. Man, think about what she's been through. The death of her husband, leaving her country, leaving her mom and her dad and her culture and everything she has ever known. And now she's at home dealing with this mother-in-law who seems to view her as an inconvenience. Boaz's kindness is overwhelming to her. And Boaz's kindness should, like, I don't know, raise our attention because Boaz is being kind to her, and she's an outsider. Look at verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz then offers her prayer and encouragement. 
He's praying that the Lord would bless Ruth, that the Lord would honor her and her faith to God because she recognizes her need for God. And that's a consistent theme in the book of Ruth and throughout all the scriptures, that the Lord is pleased to honor the faith that we have given to us by his Holy Spirit through Jesus' work on the cross and resurrection. Boaz says that the Lord honors those that come to the Lord for safety and for refuge. We see Ruth and she has safety and protection and she's found that in the land of promise under the protection, under the wings of the God of promise. Verse 13, then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Ruth is acknowledging a few things. She's been encouraged by Boaz, and Boaz has been kind to her, and he has no reason to do so. Ruth offers him absolutely nothing in return. She has nothing to give him. Ruth has no standing in the community. And Boaz also doesn't need anything from Ruth. Boaz is wealthy. And Ruth doesn't do anything to move the bottom line. What we're seeing is Ruth is actually costing Boaz money because he is providing more than what is required of him by the law. And he's doing so simply because he is kind. And this is our story. Jesus Christ is the better Boaz. Jesus Christ, the wealthy king of the universe, the owner of the field, comes to us through Bethlehem, through the line of Judah, and he is kind to people who are by nature outsiders. You see, we are like Ruth. We cannot offer anything in return. We are outsiders. We are from the land of compromise, as we have called Moab through, through our journey through Ruth. We are from the land of compromise. We are wandering about, doing what is right in our own eyes. We are needing rescue, needing provision, and needing safety. And Jesus comes to earth and provides not only everything we need in this life, but he has given us himself by becoming a man to save sinners. We have sinned. We all fall short of the standard that God has set for us. And because of our sin, we needed rescue. We needed redemption. And Jesus has given that to us through the cross and resurrection. So now forgiveness is possible through faith and repentance in Jesus. We need a redeemer to move and to work on our behalf. And Jesus has done so. And because of that, our faith can be assured. And because of that, our salvation can be insured, assured through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Man, this text has to push us to more than just be kind to people and don't mistreat women. What we need to see in this text is that God is at work to bring about the rescue and the redemption of a sinful people in order to accomplish his good and pleasing will. This is the beginning of a love story that will bring about the promised king, 
the promised Messiah from the lineage of David, whom God said would sit on his throne and rule the world forever. This is God working to finish what he started. God, through the suffering of Naomi, brought Ruth and Naomi to Bethlehem in Judah. God, in his sovereign rule and reign, has preserved Boaz from the clan of Elimelech in order that he may redeem Ruth. Remember Leverett marriage, which we talked about earlier. Man, and God is pleased to grant peace to repentant sinners through the offspring of this union. Jesus Christ, God himself. Man, we're like Ruth. And like Ruth, regardless of our struggles and regardless of our sufferings, ought to fall down at the feet of our Redeemer and praise Him that He has not left us and that He has not forsaken us. And it ought to lead us to worship for the cross of Christ because we're unworthy. We are so unworthy and Christ is kind to us. God is so kind to us. Ruth doesn't allow her lot in life to overtake her with sorrow. But she was able to trust God in the midst of these circumstances. So may the story of Ruth, as we continue to walk through it, may it encourage us and push us to Jesus, who as the better Boaz, loves the otherwise unlovable like us. May the story of Ruth push us to faith in Christ who sees us in our brokenness and has offered us forgiveness through himself. Man, just lay down your sins. Lay down your shortcomings. Lay down your struggles and failures at the foot of the cross and worship Jesus for his goodness and his kindness and his nearness to us. May we pray for him to give us more of himself because he is pleased to offer us forgiveness and life through himself. Christian, may we allow ourselves to be used by God who has orchestrated the events of every single day. May we not waste our moments here on earth to speak the love of Christ to the world. May we be bold with our faith. May we be encouraged by the story of Ruth and Boaz and see that God is for us and God is with us, even in the smallest details and especially when we don't deserve it. And the Lord is sovereign. The Lord is in control. Johnny Artavanis says that God's sovereignty does not hinder our actions but propels our actions. If he is in control, we can't mess up his plan by our actions. It gives us freedom. So let's operate as people who have been called by God and set free by God to love and serve and forgive the way that Christ has forgiven us. Man, if you're not a believer in Christ or you're struggling in your faith, here's something awesome that I would tell you. You're here this morning. 
man, maybe you don't even know why you're here, but you're here. And God sees you. And God is inviting you into his faith family through Jesus. And God is inviting you into his rest through Jesus. So you can cast your cares, you can cast your burdens, you can cast your anxieties, you can cast your wants and your desires onto Jesus because he sees you and he knows you and he wants you and he loves you in spite of you. Ruth, by the divine providence of God, steps into Boaz's field. And you have wandered into the fun dome. Perhaps God in his love has brought you here to Odessa from wherever you call home for such a time as this to receive the Lord as your Savior who is calling you to faith in him or to just encourage your heart. Weak and weary sinners, God is for you. Be encouraged. Would you receive the great love of Jesus to you this morning? Would you turn from your sin? Would you turn from your idolatry and trust and follow Jesus with your life this morning? Let's pray.